Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I'm thrilled to welcome Jessica Leahy back to the podcast. Jessica is on to talk about her latest book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence. It is a fascinating read. She talks about her history of addiction. It's part memoir and it's also part nonfiction. She talks about the the cultural histories in America of substance abuse as it relates to alcoholism. And she talks about how we can take this information and use it to shape a world in which our kids don't need to feel that they need to latch on to these substances. It's a sobering read. I chose that word intentionally. It is very powerful. I highly recommend it. Her book actually comes out tomorrow, April 6th. You should definitely go purchase it from your local bookstore. You can get direct links at her website, jessicalahey.com. It's absolutely great. Highly recommend it. Jessica has been on the show previously to talk about her first book, The Gift of Failure, and her husband, Tim Leahy, was on earlier last year to talk as a disease expert about the current COVID-19 global pandemic. So both of those episodes are in the archives. I definitely recommend you go check them out. You're going to enjoy them. And I just got to thank you again for stopping by this episode of the podcast here at the Detox Podcast. I bring it up again, but we're an inclusive podcast where we are committed to uh, making the world a more inclusive place by inviting people to detox from the world around them, get a window into how other people live their lives. And we're excited that you stopped by, whether it's your first time or your 172nd time, either way. Really appreciate it. If you like the show, feel free to subscribe, feel free to rate and review the podcast, feel free to share it with a friend. We think they will enjoy it. We think you will enjoy it. I'm very excited for this conversation. So stick around. My conversation with Jessica Leahy will be right up after this. What's going on? My name is Joe Shaw, and I host the music podcast After the Encore. After the Encore is a long-form, career retrospective podcast that takes you behind the music of some of your favorite artists. Musicians like John Oates of Holland Oates, Chris Kirkpatrick of NSYNC, and Jarrett Reddick of Bowling for Soup, and many others. Each season of the podcast is themed around a different topic, like the boy bands of the 90s, badass women in music, or even artists that were featured on the TV show, The Voice. I am committed to taking you deep inside an artist's mind to find out why they do what they do, what does music mean to them, and how do they quantify success. We tell an overarching story which will take you not only behind the music, but into the psyche of the artists themselves. After the Encore is a proud member of the Roberts Media Group podcast family, Check us out on any of your favorite podcast platforms today. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, returning to the show, I am beyond excited. Jessica Leahy, it is always a great day when I get to talk to you. Jessica, how are you doing? I am doing great and I am beyond excited too. I had a great <laughs> chat with you the first time around and I cannot wait to dive into this new topic. I am super excited. This is your second time. Your husband's also been on the show. It's just a family affair yes. up in here and it's yep. it's really great. Now I wanna I wanna start before we get too too far in, just to remind the listeners, the Detox Podcast, we are a podcast where we are committed to making a more inclusive world by asking people to quote unquote detox from their lives and get a window into how other people live their lives. So Jessica, I will ask you, um, although it's a little uh, perhaps maybe on the nose for the topic of the book, but for the purposes of the podcast, what are you detoxing from? And then we'll talk about the book. 
with regards to detoxing in a different context? Uh, <laughs> I am really doing my best right now to detox from negativity. I mean, mm. I think it it became habit for me to get angry at and and say, you know, oh my gosh, who am I mad at today? And mm. I have to say it's been um it's been really lovely to wake up and have a spirit of positivity. And that's been something I'm really focused on. And it's, it is a bit of a detox. We got into a real rut with being angry at someone every single day. And it's yes. been really nice to try to be positive every day and find things to be grateful for and people to be happy with and pe good things to promote and positive things to be able to do in the world instead of being angry. So that's yes. my detox. You know, I, I that's so true. And it, it, it seems like I was listening to something the other day um, and, you know, it was actually, it was, uh, it's been a minute with Sam Sanders on NPR and he was talking about how, mm -hmm. um, you know, the media for so, for the last four years, most of the newsrooms were shaped by what was said on Twitter and it yeah. would be a wait, let's see what's said on Twitter and then let's shape the rest of the news day around it. And this is an opportunity for a reset to go back to, no, let's just structure the media and the news stories with how we would typically structure it with the events of the day and less of what is being said from the current commander in chief on a social media platform. Well, here's the thing for me though, with Twitter is that Twitter is a really positive place for me. I don't know if we sure. talked about this the first time around, mm -hmm. because as a profession, teachers are one of the largest users of Twitter. And, um, right. So for me, I follow around 11,000 educators. And so overwhelmingly, Twitter is an incredibly positive place for me. I am not, I do not hesitate to hit block when things become mean. Right. And I think for a lot of women in particular, uh, Twitter can become a really, really toxic place. And I just am not going to let it be that way. And so I continue to follow people who put positivity in the world. And that's been, I love it over in Twitter. I'm, you know, education Twitter is a beautiful place to be. It has been good. You gave me a lot of fantastic math recommendations that I have just been. Oh consuming. yeah. Oh, it was great. But if you want to hear yeah. that, go back and listen to the other episode. What we're here <laughs> to talk about today is your latest book, The Addiction Inoculation, Raising Healthy Kids in a Culture of Dependence. And I, I do want to start, I want to level set and say, what was the the origins of this book, why and why now? Why was now the right time to write this book? That's a great question. You know, I finished uh, Gift of Failure got out mm -hmm. in the world. I was doing a lot of speaking around Gift of Failure stuff. I feel like there's a lot, still, I still do a lot of speaking around Gift of Failure topics, you know, resilience and relevance and um, education and learning and brain science about how learning works. Um, and there's still a lot to talk about there. But as a writer, I started to think about what the next thing would be. And, you know, P.S., when you write a book, the minute it's in the world, people say, what what are you doing next? Yeah. That's just the way this works. And so, um, you know, my agent never put any pressure on me. It was just me putting pressure on me to, because I like writing a book. Um, I really liked the process. I love the deep dive into one research topic, that kind of thing. So I pitched to my agent a bunch of things that were fine, you know, but it wasn't quite right. And she was very nice about it. And this isn't quite it, blah, blah, blah. Keep thinking though, keep right. going. And at the time I was working at a drug and alcohol rehab um, for kids. I was at their teacher. It was a drug and alcohol re rehabilitation center for adolescents inpatient. And so, and I was headed at the time, you know, I'm now in my sixth year of recovery six and a half years, actually, in my, I'm in my seventh year. And so there was something there, something about substance abuse, I don't know, and circling and circling and circling. And I was actually driving to Boston for a speaking event. And I had to pull off the side of the road because that's where I get my best thinking done sure. is in the car. And I pulled off the side of the road and I texted my two best friends who I also co-host my hashtag am writing podcast with. And I said, I have it. I know exactly what it is. And I had the title. I knew it was going to be about preventing substance abuse in kids. And, you know, partially it comes from the fact that I myself am an alcoholic and I'm because of that. And the fact that my children are my biological children, I'm raising two kids who have, you know, a much higher chance to have substance abuse, substance use disorder during their lifetimes. Right. Um, I know how hard I fought against it, my own genetics, uh, and I lost, uh, you know, for a long time. Um, I just wanted to know, you know, the the rhetoric is substance abuse is preventable. Well, yeah. what does that mean? What is pre like? What ex exactly can we do? What can't we do? What um, 
do we have control over? What do we not have control over? Where's the nurture? Where's the nature? All that sort of stuff. What is the role of genetics? And I just, I, I mean, I have the best job ever. I wanted the answer to those questions. I spent, you know, a couple of years researching those questions. It took me a year to write the book proposal, not the book, mm. the book proposal. Wow. Um, and then another year and a half after that to write the book to answer those questions. And, you know, for me, it's been this, this, the addiction inoculation is the book that I was born to write. It's, it has, it, I realized today, it is the thing that has made, you know, growing up in a, in a home where there was substance abuse, dealing with my own long-term knowing I had a problem, but not wanting to admit it. Hmm. All of that stuff has led to this. This is what I was supposed to do with that life experience. And it's, I'm so excited for this book to get out in the world because I just I just hope it can be a resource for people to feel like they can gain at least a little bit of information, control, knowledge over something that is pretty slippery. So you know, that's the very long answer to what I, is in general. I love it. You know, I've got book. like a list of questions and talking points written down. I, I'm I don't know if we're gonna get to all of them, but I will do my best. I do I wanna okay. start with um uh a, a, I will say let me back up a bit and say when I first picked up this book, um, immediate comparisons in my head were to Johan Hari's books. So Chasing the Screen, The Opposite of Addiction yep. is Connection and then Lost Connections. And yep. and, and yeah. I felt like... That, he... that line is actually in there. That um, yes. my uh, one of the... Yeah, Georgia, one of my former students, now an adult, um, who is... who That's her real name. Um, and she wanted her real name to be used because she felt it was so important to share her story. Yes. That is in there, that very line. Exactly. From her. Yes. And it what I felt was interesting when I read those books by Johan Hari was the focus on what we need is, is connection. And, and I felt like that was mm -hmm. so powerful because for me, that was the next step in kind of understanding how do we unravel the root cause? And you talk a lot about the root cause of the disease of addiction, right? And how the, the, yeah. the, the aspects of it disease may not be the necessarily the right word but the aspects of addiction which drive a lot of choices and behaviors we make as a result of that some of which are hardwired into us that we attempt to fight against and some of which um are uh, you know a, a couple of different uh, i'm struggling to find the right words because it's a sensitive topic and i want to do it justice but but i will just say that i think nurture versus nature as as, as kind of mm -hmm. a, an argument in that instance and and so I had that on my mind, but, but starting out how you did was so powerful about sharing your own story and your own aspects of alcoholism, but doing that, what was so powerful, it stopped me in my tracks when I was reading it was the self-realization and the quote you had from Stephen King about the, I, I wrote it down here, the righteous, <laughs> no, the frightened determination yeah, the frightening yeah that's from his book on writing. Yeah. Yes. And the fact that the acknowledgement of the addiction, right. it, it doesn't like scare us straight to, to borrow another program or phrase, right? It, it gives us that frightened determination because having been in that, it's like, well, wait a minute now. Uh, now I don't know what to do. So I'm going to double right. down on the only thing I've been doing. And right hope that it just kind of sorts itself out. So I want to pause there because I did a lot, but I just um, would really like to get your reaction to like that aspect of being yeah. in that frightened determination space. Well, I, what's fascinating about what you said is coming at, so I would suggest just for your interest, you might want to go check out the episode of Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert called uh, it's either seven is seven days or day seven. Uh, yeah, I did. Where he admitted, okay, well, he admitted yeah. that he had relapsed. And if you listen in there, even Dax, who had 16 years of 12 step recovery, of sobriety, of you know, a really strong support system where he had all the knowledge in his head of how slippery this is and how you rationalize and all that stuff. And yet he still did it. That's how challenging this is. And, right. you know, in even to your last question, everywhere we, there are a lot of landmines in this topic, by the way. And when you referred to um, addiction, number one, we're calling it addiction. People are going to get upset with us for calling it addiction right. because you're supposed to lead with, it's supposed to be called substance use disorder, um, which is 
absolutely valid. Uh, people are going, you know, some people will say, yes, you absolutely should be referring to it as a disease. And other people are going to say, no, you should be referring to it as a developmental disorder, or you should be sure. referring to it as a response to trauma. There are all right. these camps. This is a very yeah. entrenched, um, and these camps matter because that is who, you know, depending on what camp you're in and depending on how powerful that camp is, that's where the research money comes from. So, you know, if you go with the disease or you, the disease uh, camp, or you go with the developmental disorder, and I think there are, there, all of these have some aspects of truth or some aspects of, you know, they are correct, quote unquote, um, but there's so many as if with education, I, I can't believe I'm even, um, you know, I'm jumping into another place where everything is black and white. There is no gray area. I'm sorry, you have to be all or nothing. You can't say it, you have to go all in on one camp or another. It's tough like that. Education's like that and substance use disorder research and addiction and all of these things, whatever you want to call it. Um, these are all, uh, these are all really touchy subjects. And so much so that, you know, I call myself an alcoholic in the book and I'm perfectly comfortable with that name, but I also understand that the reason that the, like the AP style guide and all of the big style guides have just changed their language around this. We're not supposed to be using the word alcoholic because that puts the, that puts the disorder first. And I am a woman with a substance use disorder. I am, I am sure. Jess Leahy and I have a substance use disorder that you're, we're supposed to person first. And that is absolutely valid too. But I also call myself an alcoholic because I feel there's something, my job as someone who has a public stage is to push you to think a little bit about, um, who you are and what you do and all of that sort of stuff and make you think a little bit about your habits as well. And for me, there's something a little bit blunt about that word, but on the other hand, there's a fascinating new book out. It's not that new actually called quit like a woman by Holly Whitaker. You may have heard of it because it's what prompted uh, recently Chrissy Teigen to go on Twitter and say, my doctor gave me this book. I, I think I'm going to stop drinking. Not because maybe, or maybe not because she has a, a, she has an issue with substance use disorder, but that's exactly the point because Holly, Holly Whitaker's point is alcohol is in our bodies. It is, it's ethanol. It is, it is a toxic substance to our body. And to put the fact that it can work to it, that it can be really detrimental to 10% of the population, to the number of people that have a substance use disorder, it gets us a little bit off track because if we take those, am I an alcoholic quiz and maybe we get three points instead of four, or maybe we get four points instead right. of five, then you can take comfort in the fact that, oh, wait, maybe I'm not an alcoholic and I don't need to face this yet. But the question should be, is this causing a problem in your life? Is this causing a problem for you in your life to your health? And if, if the answer to that is yes, then maybe stopping drinking is something or, or thinking about stopping drinking is something that you need to look into. So when we get all hooked up in these labels of alcoholic or not alcoholic, then maybe that's bad too. But as you can see in this topic, there are so many ways we can go. And so I wanted to at least give service to all of them and talk about without creating a 700 page long book, um, explain, you know, what all of these different things mean and how they can affect the way we look at our own use and our children's use. Yeah. And honestly, all of this is an attempt to allow us to be empowered, to be our authentic selves. And that actually... Right brings me today's sponsor of the show, which is Snuffy. Snuffy is a clothing brand about empowering you to show your weird unapologetically with bravery and confidence. 10% of profit goes to LGBTQ plus organizations led by trans people of color. Shop online now at snuffy.co. That's snuffy, S-N-U-F-F-Y dot C-O. The owner and operator of Snuffy is great friend of the podcast, Nick Silvestri. He designed the Detox Podcast logos. So if you like the logo, you want to go support him, check it out, snuffy.co. All right. Very cool. I'm going to check it out. I've never heard of it. I'm he, going to go check it out right away. A dear, dear friend up in Boston. Um, Nick is great. I highly recommend it. And the work he's doing is fantastic. So all about supporting cool. small businesses and small businesses that give back. That's yeah. what I love. I want to I want to spend some time. It was fascinating to me thinking about the origins aspects of alcohol as as it relates to building a community. You spent a while talking about the 
the origins of, I think it was the Boston, uh, ooh. Are you talking about origins in humanity? Like, for example, or well, origins, origins as, in humanity, as... but then origins in plants. So, like, the, the formation, like, groups formed, came together in a tavern yeah, yeah, yeah. in, in yeah. New England, planning out yeah. the war, the uh, Revolutionary yeah. War, or just talking about how should we proceed. And it's, it, this is what was interesting to me. This is the big point of why I bring that up is that something that is, it's interesting, this dichotomy to me about how something that is so potent on one aspect that we just covered. Yeah is also yeah. so powerful at moving plans and communities closer together or forward in some aspects. That is so cool. I hadn't thought, you know, I spend it, I tend to spend a lot of time on the whole, okay, tell me what prevents substance use in kids and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that, I love this topic because, so I talk in the book about the fact that um, there's this wonderful book, uh, um, well, there are a couple of books actually that I refer to in my book about the fact that, you know, a lot of people thought that um, civilization was born out of our, our need for bread, that, yes, you know, the yes. whole, you know, farming and blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out that, you know, you know, bread may be part of the question or part of the uh, picture there, but there's actually other people that believe that actually um, civilization was born out of the beer because in when we were in sort of our epipaleolithic sort of hunter gatherer small tribe sort of societies um there wasn't as much sort of social angst there were hierarchies but there weren't they weren't bigger settlements but then when you had to come together with other groups suddenly there are hierarchies that cause us human beings angst yes. and so the way we would get through that angst the way we would overcome that angst was through beer through drinking right and of course later on there were issues with like you know potable drinking water and you know in england they were using the waterways as sewers and blah 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 so when when people came you know when when colonists came here that was when colonizers came here they um they believed that the fresh water sources were probably as polluted and so yay beer you know right. um and they didn't realize it was the boiling they thought it was maybe the hops whatever right. that made it clean but the coolest thing about this is that you're absolutely right. If you look at our relationship with alcohol over time, it has absolutely moved us forward as a culture. It has allowed us to gather. It has allowed people of different power bases to talk to each other, people who might be too nervous to talk to each other. You know, I like to get a couple drinks in before I go to a party because, right. you know, I can be extroverted, but my nature is to be fairly introverted and have intimate conversations instead of like big party conversations. Right. So it makes it easier for me to socialize. That's actually one of the drinks I missed most when I, you know, when I miss drinking, it's oh, I'm about to go to a party and it would be so much easier if I could have a couple of glasses before I go. Um, but you're absolutely right. There is this incredible tension between the fact that it can bring us together as a culture. It can bring us together as a people. Clearly drinking as a, as a way of bonding as a group is huge. But if you do have a problem with alcohol or substances, it will drive you into such a dark and lonely place, even if there are people around you. And that's what's so terrifying for me about the places that alcohol took me is I could talk to no one about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, my, I, my husband is so supportive and so kind. I also knew that he would, you know, if I didn't, Get a grip, uh, get a grip on my drinking. Um, he also grew up with substance use disorder in his background, and he did not want our children to be raised around that. Yeah. So I knew if I had a problem that I couldn't deal with, that he would have divorced me and our children. And I knew that, you know, as much as as tight as our relationship is and as solid as we've ever been, I wouldn't want my kids to be raised around that either. You know, if I was on the other, if she was on the other foot, it, I probably would have done the same thing. So you're absolutely right. It can it can bring us together, but it, but in its in its worst forms, it um, it absolutely drives us apart and makes us feel so isolated. And that's why the Jonathan Hari um, lost connections um, quotes are so apt. Yes. Is that we don't feel like we have anyone or anything other than this substance. And lots and lots of people in recovery refer to the scariest thing about giving up the drink or giving up a drug is I feel like I'm giving up my best friend. And there's a romance around it too. Yes. I mean, people who are addicted, especially to opiates and to heroin and to shooting up and that whole 
ritual around it's a shooting ritual. up. They talk about the fact that, and my students have told me this, that they are in, as in love with the whole ritual around it as with the, um, and that's because dopamine doesn't, we don't just get a hit of dopamine when we take that first drink, we get a hit of dopamine when we purchase it. And we think about the fact yes. that when we get home, we get to have some, and then, you know, and all of the stuff we do and pouring it in the glass and setting things up, that all gives us hits of dopamine too. So man, it is a tricky, slippery thing, but um, yeah. It, you're absolutely correct. I love that yeah. take on it. Thank you for asking that question. Of course. You know, it's interesting. You you had a little bit of a throwaway line for a second, and I want to I circle back <laughs> to it. The, the aspect of the, oh, I'm about to go to a party. I really could use a drink. It's like, it's like Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands, <laughs> but like on a scary scale. <laughs> and, yeah. And yeah. Well, try that's that's why you know one of the ways that I I deal with that now by going when I go to a party the one thing actually I talk to my students about this all the time when I used to talk to them about okay you're going to get to a place where someone it's going to get tense for you and you might want to use and what's your exit strategy going to be mm. so the one thing I do and as an it, as the older I get, the more introverted I get. So it's always nice to have this anyway. I always have an exit strategy and I I I cannot let myself worry that someone is going to think badly of me because I need to go. And so I'm actually now I'm in this sort of like crazy honesty sort of place where if I'm at a party and I'm feeling uncomfortable because I kind of would really like to drink or I'm just not feeling safe. Um, I, yes, I can very easily say, you know, I'm just really tired. We have something in the morning, but I, or I can give myself, my husband and I have kind of a signal that if that I can give him, if, um, if I really need to go. Um, and I've never had to do that, but I, I'm to the point now where I'm like, look, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I don't drink and I'm just, I'm just not really, I'm not feeling really safe right now. So I'm going to go. And, but I never want to put it on someone else that this is their responsibility. But sure. at this point for me, um, staying sober has to be my top priority when it comes to my family and my career. And, you know, the reason I got sober in the first place is I had just gotten a, uh, um, I had just gotten the contract for my first book for the gift of failure. And it was everything I'd ever wanted professionally and as in terms of being a writer. And um, I knew that I 100% was going to throw that opportunity away. I could not drink and write this book at the same time. I wrote a blog post once called something's got to give because I knew that between my teaching and my drinking and my writing, there was only room for two, and not to mention my family and my friends and all that other stuff. There was not enough room, enough yeah. hours in the day for me to balance all of those things. I could not drink and write. I could not teach and write. I could not, you know, all of these, something had to go and it had to be the drinking. So, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, I think something that I had heard in, and been told in therapy through that process was that you know, you are going to be triggered the first times that you encounter those situations and it will, mm -hmm. it won't go away. It will be easier mm -hmm. for you to cope with it. And I remember I watched, um, I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. So I, I love the, the yeah. any adaptation I'm a sucker for, but especially the elementary yeah. adaptation on CBS where he mm -hmm. is, the premise is he's a recovering addict at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a quote in there where he talks about, you're never, I, I believe it was him or maybe it was Lucy Liu's character as Joan Watson, where it said, you're never, you never stop being, and you bring it up in your book as well. You never stop being an addict. You just continue forward. Like, or I'm, I'm paraphrasing it quite a bit, mm -hmm. but it, the point is it's never like, I think folks that aren't in the struggle, I will say this, have this idea of like, well, you were, and then you're not. And it's very mm -hmm. like chapter closed, but it's, it's an ongoing, it's part of, it's part of what we deal with on a daily basis. And it's just, it just changes. I have, time, I, I have a little test for myself that I do sometimes, like every once in a while that, that my brain will do this weird thing and it'll be like, eh, maybe it's fine. You know, I, I try not to get tricked into listening to that, but your brain can, you know, especially with substances, you know, your brain just addicts brains do weird things. Um, but every once in a while I'll be like, I'll look at the table uh, if I'm at a dinner party or something. And I say to myself, how much alcohol would there have to be here 
for me to feel comfortable that there would be enough for me. Mm. Like, you know, and, and, and that's taking away the fact that my husband would be watching me and other people at the party who know I'm sober would be watching me. But like, just in terms of how much would I have to secure for myself to feel comfortable that there's enough here that I won't feel anxious about there possibly not being enough. And I look at the table and I usually say, mm, no, not enough. So there's the answer. Can't have the first one because there will not be enough for right. me here. And, you know, there's a, a joke that, uh, you know, uh, that comes up all the time, which is, you know, um, how much do you drink? And, and this, and I think this is even from Stephen King and on writing. And he said, and the addict looks at the doctor and he's like, well, all of it. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> there isn't, you know, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. So I, that little test that I do with myself every once in a while just sort of makes me go, oh, there it is. Yeah, right. there's the reminder. Yeah. Right. I want to jump ahead to the the aspect that you have um, towards the, I would say towards the middle middle to end about the, the actual, um, oh, the it's not the ABCs of addiction. It's, it's the talk. We have to talk about chapter and the, right. okay. the, the expectations and the, and then the practice of, of starting to work and communicate with your kids about how to spot some of these, these false signs. And I was specifically drawn to the advertising aspect, being critical of advertising, <laughs> look, look yeah. for the messages and sales tactics. And I, I want to say that is something we were able to start doing with my kiddos, um, pretty early oh on. Oh my gosh, like a, it's so much fun. It is. It's I really mean. fun. It's like, and especially because <laughs> my kids are so contrary and they hate the idea that they might be manipulated or that someone sure. might attempt to manipulate it, be manipulate them and they would fall for it. Right. We love dissecting like, what exactly are they selling there? Is it the idea that you'll have lots of friends and yes. you'll be attractive and live next to a beach? Or are they selling you beer. I mean, it's just, it's right. a fun sort of dissection that we've always loved to do. We started out by telling, so we, you know, we, I grew up in a house where we had cable and ads were on all the time, but we live in the, in the age of streaming. And so we don't have cable with ads. We have streaming devices, which rarely have ads on them unless it's the live TV portion. But we, you know, can talk to our kids about the fact that ads typically have garbage that they're advertising and that if, mm -hmm. it's, if it's worthy of an ad, perhaps it's not worthy of your consumption and your life. And then we started talking about <laughs> what are they, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? That seems really cheap. What is it? Are they, and just dissecting it. And so when I read that portion of your book, I was like, Oh good. I feel, I feel that I'm on the right <laughs> path towards, towards setting my kids up for success. But it's, but you know, if from this portion, I think, what really resonated with me, and there's a couple, I know say a couple points in the book as well, is we need to understand the root causes of why we as an individual and as a society are drawn to these substances, whether it's alcohol, whether it's opioids, what, what have you, and, and understand, is it the need to feel included? Is it the need to, um, no longer feel nervous? Like what, what are some of the reasons one is drawn to these? Because that can influence the way in which we parent our kids now. And we have mm -hmm. six, six year old and a three year old. And I want to be able to right. parent them in a way that they're not needing to be drawn to these substances. I mean, I think about the first drink that I had and it right. was because I was trying to impress friends and it was this belief and idea. And I didn't walk in thinking, this one magical war lukewarm can of leftover mm -hmm. natty light will allow me to be cool in the eyes of others. It was this idea of this conditioning I had had that this is the cool thing to do. When you have done this, you have reached a certain status in society. Right. Ergo, we have an opinion of you. Ergo, you are now a right. man. I'm using air quotes here. Well, I, I think I think let's turn this inside out because, mm. um, you know, I love... Chris Heron, um, who I talk about in the book a little bit, he's a really wonderful um, uh, addiction educator. He's also was a former Celtic who also um, nearly died um, from his own opiate use. Um, he says, you know, we talk, we tend to talk over and over again about, we want to talk about the worst day, but instead we have to talk about the first day, yes, right? Yes. So that first day thing is really important. So That's what is it yep. for you? It was wanting to impress someone else for me. It was um, going along with a friend of mine who wanted 
did, you know, and I just wanted her to like me. Right, right. Um, you know, there's that story. But at the same time, that's not always the case. You know, sometimes it's about social acceptance, feeling like you're not enough for like Georgia in the book, you know, Georgia, Georgia started drinking because her anxiety was so overwhelming that when she heard from someone else, ironically, a, a, a person who had been invited to her school to explain to her exactly why she shouldn't drink, what she heard was, if you drink, it helps you escape from yourself. Yeah. And she was like, ding, ding, ding. That's what I've been looking for this whole time. I have untreated anxiety. Of course, she wasn't using those words because she was a child, because sure. by the time I became her teacher, she was a daily drinker and she was drinking at school. Um, you know, she wanted to get, she wanted to not be her. She wanted to not be in that body that was so riddled with anxiety. Yep. For Brian, who's in the book, Brian just needed other people to love him. Brian had been adopted at a very early age, had some issues with abandonment, had had issues also with behavior. He, he was very impulsive. He just needed to be loved and wanted people to like him. And yeah. so he actually started using because the people that were most influential around him were using and he wanted to be loved and liked by them. So there are lots of different people reasons people use. And you can imagine, you know, when we look at, you know, in the book, I talk about risk factors and protective factors and that it's like an old timey scales of justice scale. The more risk factors you have, the more protective factors you're going to have to heap on to outweigh those risks. And the biggest risks, let's let's sort of lay them out from the time kids are little early aggression towards other children, early social ostracism, early academic failure. Now, those first three that I mentioned there, those sound pretty cut and dried, but those three get really tangled up with each other. If you are an, a kid who is aggressive towards other kids, you are also more likely to be ostracized socially. And so if we can get to some of those early, you know, especially the, you know, early academic failure, if we can get to those things early on and get at the root problem, whether that's an undiagnosed learning issue or whatever it is, um, and deal with those before they start to get so inextricably linked into each other that we can't even figure out what the original problem is, then we can protect those kids from feeling like they need to turn to something other than themselves to be able to cope. Then there's adverse childhood experiences, including, you know, substance use in the home, um, early traumas like, um, you know, sexual or physical abuse, you know, especially for girls, early sexual abuse is one of the biggest risk factors there is for, um, for substance use. Um, you know, anxiety is another one that I mentioned. So kids turn to substances sometimes just because they have nowhere else to put their pain. Yeah. That's why, you know, people self-harm, you know, is yeah. another way to release from, to release some of that pain. There's the reasons that people use, there isn't one reason that people right. use. And so getting to understand the multi, multiple reasons that people might start using helps us understand better what those risk factors are and the protective factors that we can use in order to outweigh those risk factors. Yeah. It's, it's powerful to me when I think about the first day mm -hmm. and the reasons behind wanting to start. And it, it is varied and it is, I think, difficult, but fostering an environment at home where you're able to have a dialogue about what is going on in your lives mm -hmm. and, and trying to make it a safe space where we can say things and we can discuss your day, how you're feeling. Let's talk about your feelings. Let's not bury your feelings where you need to continue to bury and numb the pain as you get older, but welcome those feelings, discuss them, lean into them and share that allows us to build a foundation, which will hopefully allow us to raise children, which can make better decisions than we made. Well, and now we're back to some gift of failure stuff yes. because one of the things I hear from kids most when I'm out talking to kids is, you know, I, I often will, I don't know if I mentioned this before on your show, but I, I often will ask kids, I'll give all of the kids at the school where I'm speaking my email after I talk to them and before I speak to their parents that evening. Um, I say, here's my email, my direct email, email me before your parents come tonight 
with whatever it is you feel like you need me to tell your parents. And there's usually, you know, some iteration of like six different things. And some of them are predictable and some of them are less so. But the thing I get the most from kids is, please tell my parents, I am not my brother. I am not my sister. I am not some imaginary kid you think you're raising. I'm not you when you were my age. I am, and so therefore, one of the most important things we can do with our kids is to love the kids we have, not the kids we wish we had. That's seeing and knowing and understanding your child. A kid who does not feel seen and known and loved for who they are, how on earth are they supposed to love themselves for who they are and who they, you know, who they think they can be? That's the kind of kid that unfortunately I worry is going to go out and have to become something else in order to be, to feel like they are um approved of and loved and accepted. I want kids to feel like they can be accepted for who they are. And that starts with us as parents, seeing and knowing and understanding and loving the kid we have, not some other version of the kid that we wish we had. That's where it all begins for me. That's, that's the whole thing right there, right there. Absolutely. I love that. Before we transition to the final segments of the show, any last bit of hope, that you want people to take away or knowledge from your book that we didn't touch on. Now, your book is available tomorrow, April 6th. So if you're listening to this on Monday, April 5th, go get it. You have one day <laughs> left to pre-order it. Get it done. Um, and if you're listening to this after April uh, after April 6th, then uh, just go ahead and buy it. What are you waiting for? It's It's been it's been forever. You're already late. But, but And you can get it a multitude of places, and uh, we can talk about that. But the best place is, I think, to go to your website, jessicalahey.com. Yeah. And, and then there's all the places, all are the there. places actually, are there. I'm always going to say my very favorite place for you to get it is at your local independent bookseller. Perfect. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing that I want people to know about this book for me is that this is my very favorite kind of nonfiction is the kind of nonfiction that is blurs the line between memoir and research based, um, mm. uh, as sort of, I get to learn stuff and I get to, um, understand people better and understand a person better. I love that fuzzy line between memoir and research-based nonfiction. And so this is very much memoir. It's partially my memoir. It's partially Georgia's memoir. It's partially Brian's memoir. It's, um, there's a lot of memoir in there and there's a lot of, um, there's so much hope in this book. There really is. I don't think And there's so much that I, the one thing I never, ever want to be is a person who writes stuff that makes parents feel guilty for not doing enough. You know, people come to my talks and they're like, oh man, hit me. I'm so scared. You're going to make me feel terrible about my parenting. And my hope is that I do the exact opposite because we do the best we can do. We do it from a place of love. Certainly, if you're showing up to a talk by me on some evening when you could be at home doing your own thing, you are there because you want to do the right things for your kids. People are not buying a book about preventing childhood substance abuse because they want giggles. They're doing that because they love their children and they want to be better parents. So right from the get-go, I want you to know that you're doing the right thing because the best thing we can do for our kids is model for them that we do the best we can, we learn, we continue to learn throughout our entire lives. And we take that information and we do better going forward. Yes. I mean, that's all we can ever do. And so modeling that for our kids by doing it ourselves, that's all I can ask of my readers. And that's all I do. I mean, my whole entire, this room, you can't see me, (laughs) um, but I'm in a room with, I don't know, 500 books easily. (laughs) And all of these books are my attempt to learn stuff and become a better person and be a better resource for other people because of it. And that's all I can hope for, for the people that read this book. I love that. Well, thank you so much. We're going to transition uh, to one of our last segments. It's things to check out. It's where I ask my guests to recommend one thing they're reading and one thing they're listening to, and I'll start first. So my recommendation, I'll start with uh, what I'm listening to. I mentioned earlier, I continue to consume it. It's fantastic. Uh, It's a goal to get him on the show one day. Sam Sanders, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute. Huge. One thing I did not think about 
uh, my life, uh, what it would look like here in my 30s, is that I would listen to NPR almost exclusively. Um, but yes, that is who I've become, and I'm not mad about it. So it's great. <laughs> you should definitely check it out. Um, and the one uh, book that I'm reading, I bring it up now. I meant to bring it up earlier, but uh, Hey Kiddo by Jared Krasowska. Oh! Fantastic. Did Former you know guest about that show. book? Yes, he's did you been... know about that book before yes. you read my book? Because I that did. book I've got is it. in my book. Yes, I've got it over here I was oh my gosh it's gesturing one of my favorites over. it's so good he's a former guest on the show so again if you're listening to this because you Ugh. came to listen to Jess just know if you want if you love the book and you love the mention of Jarrett and you love that we talk about his book hey kiddo a couple episodes back I'm gesturing back I don't know why but just scroll back in the feed it's there you won't be disappointed he's fantastic oh, I love that book and the I world is so, so small much. because you love the book it's in the book I Reached I teach out to that Jared. book at. The, I taught that book at the rehab, and it's so. I, it that oh, book was so meaningful for my students yes. because so many of my students were raised by their grandparents, yes. and so many students would say, "I have never seen myself in a book before." Yes, and that is a magical thing. That's why represent, representation memoir. matters yes. in literature. Absolutely. My friend, Adam Kohlberg, who does pop culture uh, classroom in Denver, Colorado, he knows Jarrett. Jarrett knows him. You're covering Jarrett's book. Jarrett loves that. I just like the world is so beautiful and small. It's fantastic. But yes, it's a memoir we're talking about. It's a memoir about Jarrett's life in graphic novel form about how he was raised by his grandparents because his mother was a heroin addict and she actually overdosed while he was finishing the book. That's the sad part about it. But he also gave a couple of TED talks, one about specifically about writing how it saved his life and it's very powerful the book is powerful just mentions it in the book it's fantastic definitely go pick it up so jessica who are you reading and who are you listening to well i have to say um there is the wonderful author her name is julie lithcott hames and she um is not just a wonderful author she is a wonderful human being and a close friend of mine because her book um how to raise an adult came out at the same time as the gift of failure which was frightening to me because they were on the same topic. So by all means, we should have been competitors. But what Julie and I did was say, look, we could compete or we could raise each other up and become teammates. And that's what we did. Um, we recorded a podcast together recently about that called Room for Two Princesses because she <laughs> and I were both like, you know, if there is room for one, there's room for two. And so her new book, the sort of follow-up to how to raise an adult is called Your Turn, How to Be an Adult. And it's for kids in their late teens and early 20s. And it also comes out tomorrow. Julie is brilliant and amazing. She not only wrote How to Raise an Adult, she also wrote a beautiful book called Real American about it's her memoir of growing up biracial and not feeling like she fully understood who she was as an American, as a human person in the world. Um, and she brought that same, that same thinking to how to be an adult, you know, your turn, how to be an adult. And it's an incredibly inclusive, incredibly diverse, incredibly thoughtful and generous wonderful book. And if you have, I mean, this book would be make the most amazing graduation present for your college graduate, your high school graduate. It is the Bible of adulting. It is so good. It's almost 500 pages long. And no matter whether your kid is neurotypical or is uh, neurodiverse, is gay, straight, black, white, whatever is happening with your kid, uh, she covers it all. It's really, oh, it's the most wonderful book. I love that. Fantastic. All right. We are going to go to uh, the last segment of the episode, which is my favorite. It's the dad joke of the week. It's a segment <laughs> where I hurl dad jokes at my unsuspecting guests in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear my my audience. I can hear my guests, so it works out for me. Uh, I do like to put my guests on the spot. Jess, do you have any jokes you would like to offer up today? I never do. I'm one of those weird <laughs> people who cannot remember jokes. Like They just... It's my brain is a sieve. I don't remember jokes under duress. Maybe I could like Google something I heard once. I do not remember jokes. So you're going to have to be the entertaining one in this. All right. I well, think I deferred last time. Too, <laughs> yes, so. that's correct. Uh, well, last time I had great ones. This time I have less than great ones. But here they go. Ar arguably, they're all less than great ones. Um, but just why did the math book look so sad? Oh, I'm going to feel so dumb when I don't get it. But OK, I, I don't know why. Because of all of its problems. <laughs> all of its problems. 
There you go. See, uh, I'm easy. There, there it is. Um, uh, what kind of shoes do ninjas wear? What kind of shoes do I don't ninjas know. wear? What kind of shoes do Sneakers. ninjas wear? Sneakers. Of course they do. Right, right. Last one. How does a penguin build its house? A penguin. How does it build its house? I don't know. How does a penguin build its house? Well, it glues it all together. <laughs> all right, all right. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Jess, I like if people, it. <laughs> if people want to fo- follow you and see what you're up to, uh, we did mention the website, but what is the best way to uh, for them to Everything do that? Everything is at Um I write for various outlets, including the Washington Post and the New York Times. And uh, I write book reviews for an outfit called Airmail, which is a really fun publication uh, by Graydon Carter, who used to run Vanity Fair. Um, you can find me at all those places, but uh, JessicaLahey.com is where I live. And I have a podcast called Hashtag Writing. It is fantastic, and by the way. It is all things writing. Um, it is just about uh, my two co-hosts. One is a uh, novelist. The other one is another novelist, but she writes, uh, self-publishes contemporary uh, romance and is a best-selling author. All of us, all three of us, we've been so fortunate. All three of us are best-selling authors and we just dish about the life of a writer and the important stuff writers need to know. It's fantastic. And again, with the fact that the world is so small, I was on a panel with KJ uh, Delantonio once <laughs> of course you in were. 2019. So, I mean, this world is just, uh, we're just about all- About what? Inter- it was about parent, well, it was actually, it was a, it was at Dad 2.0, but it was about oh, of uh, course. Yeah. pivoting or changing. I was moving away from having co-hosts at the time and making the podcast more of a, a an inclusion-focused podcast instead of uh, just parenting advice. Yeah. And so she yeah, was yeah. talking about her writing career as well. Um, I felt a little odd man out on that panel, uh, not just because I was the only man on the panel, but because of the fact that I felt woefully uh, under, uh, under-credentialed, I guess, with the others on the <laughs> I guess, or the panel, but it was a great time. Don't I, we all? I helped, don't I know. we all? The at imposter some point syndrome, or another, right? Feel woefully uncredentialed. <laughs> <laughs> that is, um, oh, that might that might be. We need a hashtag for this episode. I wonder. Yeah. Woefully, uh, un- oh, hashtag woefully uncredentialed. Uncredential. <laughs> well, I did. I did write down a couple of different hashtag options for this. I wrote hashtag undercredentialed. I suppose. Right. <laughs> Undercredentialed, yes. Um, I did write down the hashtag addiction inoculation or hashtag the first day. Um, now we've added hashtag woefully undercredentialed. Um, <laughs> what? what Let's in a, can you, just for me, <laughs> could you not stick woefully undercredentialed on on the launch of my new book? Deal. That we will strike it from the record. <laughs> would you like to go with hashtag addiction inoculation or hashtag the first day? That would day? be lovely. Hashtag addiction inoculation. That. Perfect. All right. Well, Jessica, again, thank you so much. This has been a delight. I look forward to having you back on the show again in the future because this is never enough time. Never enough time. Well, and guess what? I'm working on the proposal for my third book right now. Perfect. So I cannot wait. And I can tell you right now, I already know that it's something you'll be interested in. So I'll I'll tell you about it off the record later. That sounds good. All right. Well, listeners, I'll be back next week with another great episode. But until then, hashtag addiction inoculation. And as always, I will hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.